Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Awakened Catholic Show. I'm your host, Nick Del Torre. Today, I have a very special person with me, Mr. John Trabick, uh, and he is ministering at a parish here in the Toledo Diocese, St. Patrick of Heatherdowns. He's doing some really cool stuff uh, with a Catholic summer camp. He's a musician and worship leader extraordinaire, and he might even uh, give us a little something-something today Maybe. from one of his songs. Uh, all of that coming up right after this. Welcome, everyone, to the Awakened Catholic Show. John Trabick, welcome. This Thank is your you. first time here at our studios, yeah. and uh, man, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. I was just overjoyed when Lauren told me that you had said yes, and that you were coming here in person, yeah. and that you would play a song for us. Yeah. You know what? I'm actually... Being here in person is super exciting because it's kind of a break from the normal pace of my three kids right now. So I'm actually like really enjoying kind of just being able to chill out. Well, you're welcome. Lie. you're welcome. I love my kids. Love yeah. my kids. And, and Jess, thank you for your sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Before we get started, though, I want to let you know that if you like The Awakened Catholic Show, this show right here, or any of the other shows on Awakened Catholic, you can be a part of what makes all of it possible by joining the Awakened Nation, uh, by making a monthly recurring donation of the price of a cup of coffee a week, um, whether a small cup of coffee or a larger one, whichever your taste you know is into. Uh, you can join the Awakened Nation and be a part of the solution to crappy Catholic content. Uh, help us make this stuff that is that is serving people's souls, bringing them closer to Jesus Christ. Maybe maybe even bringing you closer to Jesus Christ. I don't want to venture to say that explicitly, but maybe right. Um, I know it's helping me in my journey. So please be a part of of this family of people that is bringing uh, this work to. Uh, the, the people. And then additionally, if you are interested in, uh, you know, having the best possible way to get Awakened Catholic content, if you're interested in a social media alternative that is non-toxic, but rather is life-giving, check out the Awakened Catholic app. You can learn more about it by visiting theawakenapp.io or just search for Awakened Catholic in the uh, Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Uh, it's the best place to see all of this stuff or listen to all this stuff and interact with the show hosts and with each other. Uh, lots of really cool stuff happening there, so make sure to check out the Awakened Catholic app. <sighs> that was amazing. Man, sometimes I trip over it. Today was a little bit more of a trippy that day. Really but good. Wow. Thank you, thank you. John, uh, man, we've been friends for a long time. Yeah. We've uh, We've gotten to work on different projects together, whether it was because we both worked at parishes that were doing stuff, uh, or even um, some musical stuff that we've done together. And I just, man, it's a joy to know you. And I think that um, I just get so excited, like, that there are people like you still working at the parish level, but also just seeing and thinking uh, beyond just kind of the constraints of what parishes typically think like if that makes sense yeah, um, yeah you've done some really innovative stuff at your parish uh before we get into your work there though tell us about yourself and yeah. your family and yeah well uh yeah i grew up not ever expecting to work for the church so working for the <laughs> church was not my plan my plan was to become a lawyer i really liked to argue with people so that was like <laughs> what i was gonna do and then i realized lawyers had a lot of paperwork so then i really quickly learned that that's not what i wanted to do but uh, when I was in high school, I mean, I grew up Catholic. I grew up on a farm. I was homeschooled. So I was the awkward kid. And, uh, I never, my dad 
in the early 2000s became a deacon for the church. And so that process of him becoming a deacon and getting labeled as the deacon's kid really made me want not that much to do with my faith. Gotcha. And so I remember I was invited to go to a conference and I just said no because I was like, I don't need to go. I already know everything I want to know about that theology Catholic stuff. And I just don't want anything to do with it. Well, I ended up there anyways because of a youth minister. And shout out to all youth ministers because you kill it. Mm -hmm. Uh, She got me to go to this conference. And at that conference, long story short, God changed my life. And I went from being so closed and close-minded to what God wanted to do to uh, being on my knees before him in Eucharistic adoration and saying, Lord, like I'll do whatever you want. And in my heart, I heard, John, I want you to share the love that you're encountering right now with people the rest of your life. Mm. And so then I kind of changed my whole direction with what I wanted to do. My music career at that point was very much rock and roll, uh, Chili Peppers. I was the drummer and lead singer in a band. What? We were absolutely terrible. And yeah, I, I mean, we were bad. We were bad. I didn't know you were a drummer. Yeah. How did we go all these years? I know. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yep. Yep. It's are there I any hide videos? that because it's that there are. Don't go look up anything. <laughs> it's really bad. We're like, everyone go at, Google John Travick no, drumming. <laughs> please don't. It's really bad. Anyways, uh, yeah, we had just recorded our first album. We, we wrote seven songs that were really bad as well. And we recorded them in a nightclub. And I remember as a high schooler just being like, is this really what I want to do? Is this really the direction I want to go? Because I love music and I don't know where else to use it. And at this conference, encountered praise and worship music for like the first time in my life. Mm. And I was, my first response was, wow, this music is so terribly cheesy. Like I would never want to play this stuff. Yeah. And over the course of the weekend, realized how powerful the words were and they just transformed my life. And so came back from that retreat, taught myself how to play guitar and then started writing. And that kind of took off from there. So then I went to college, uh, majored in theology, catechetics, minored in business management, got lots of opportunities to uh, lead worship. I was also an NCAA athlete, played uh, D3 basketball. So that was a lot of fun and I love sports. So that's a big part of my life as well. And then after that, got hired at the church I work at now here in Toledo and I've been there the past seven years. Started as the middle school youth minister then ended up in a high school youth minister position, and now I'm the director of evangelization and young adult ministry at the parish. You're climbing the ladder. No, it's Pretty soon you're going to be the pastor and priest. Never, never. <laughs> that is not my vocation. That's not how that works. Not my vocation. So, but yeah, so that's quick stuff about me. I've been married for almost five years to my amazing wife, Jessica, who we met in college and... Uh, it did long distance for a while, which for any of you out there doing long distance relationships, good Lord, like may he bless you because <laughs> they are tough, uh, yet so fruitful if it's what God wants. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we have three beautiful kids, Gianna, who's two and a half, Samuel, who is 16 months, and Gabriel, who is a month and a half. Strong so, biblical names. Yes. And saint names. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. That's so awesome. That's about me. That's beautiful, man. Um, and- yeah, so you at your parish, like I, I really love that you are you are not just you're, you've never been someone that's like just chill with the status quo. So like you to you, a fault you come into you know a, a typical Catholic <laughs> parish and you're like yeah, but what if we like what if we did some crazy stuff for Jesus? Um, I love that you know by your prompting by the Holy Spirit's prompting through you, 
you you end up like coming up with this crazy idea. And if I'm if I regurgitate this story incorrectly, correct me where I'm wrong here. Um, but you come up with this wild idea from from the spirit's inspiration to create an environment for young adults to come together that is a fun like hangout venue where there can be live music and it's got like uh, a pseudo bar and um you know you can do evangelization there you can have like speakers come in yeah. like and and you come up with this lofty idea you put together a plan for it um you know between blueprints and like the vision for the ministry and it, you put together a budget for what is this going to cost to build and and run um because i i mean the the drinks and the snacks that whatever is offered there is offered for free for yeah. people that are there and you know that includes alcohol and that's not cheap right? right so you put together this this lofty idea that i don't know other parishes that are doing this stuff yeah. and you bring it to the pastor at the time and he's like hey if you find someone to fund it let's go yeah and then you found someone to fund it <laughs> i mean it was it was wild like and it was I mean, there was so many times where it should have just got shut down. Like, right. It should not have happened. And the Holy Spirit just kept on opening doors, like from realizing that there are so many young adults in this area that desire community, that desire to be able to come to a place that's comfortable to grow in faith, that's not awkward, that's not cliquish, that's not like a group of 35 people that when you walk in, you don't feel welcome or you don't feel mm -hmm. like you can belong, and to create a space that constantly allows a place for people to belong. Mm. And no matter where you're at in your walk, in life, your walk with faith, we want to make a space where you know you can come in, that we're going to challenge you, mm -hmm. but we're also going to hear you. Yeah. And uh, so that was the vision, the the process behind that, working with the pastor at the time who is was an extremely – he's passed since, but was an extremely pastoral man. Yeah. But also – a spitfire. So oh, a we hoot. would go in, I would go into the office and presenting this so many times we'd just be going at it with each other. Yeah. Like, no, yes. Why is this needed? Like, this is crazy. Like, why are we doing this? And like within two months, $40,000 came in, we renovated a space and it's been going for the past two and a half years almost now. And seeing the fruit that has come from it, uh, people from so many different places in life coming encountering the Lord, mm -hmm. encountering healing and freedom. And I mean, it's just been so cool. Yeah. And you also offer childcare uh, yeah. when it's needed. And so like, I loved, I got to go one time and I saw, um, there were people like you're saying, like from a lot of different walks and there were, you know, young families that had kids that ended up getting into the childcare and there were, yeah. there were, uh, young adults that didn't, weren't married yet or whatever. And everyone's there and getting to know each other. Um, you have a group of intentional volunteers who are like there and like reaching out to people yeah. and welcoming people. Why, why it's so ludicrous to me that this is even like that novel of an idea. I know it's, it's, it's a demographic of people that just get almost entirely ignored by our church because after you get confirmed and after you go through uh, typically in junior high and then after you go through like a life teen program or some kind of youth ministry program in high school and then you're in college age and unless you're at a university parish with a Newman Center or something, you're That's done nothing. until you get married and have kids and send them to Catholic school. Right. There's nothing for you. Right. right. That's insane. I know. I know. And that was – I mean – that was so hard when I was doing high school youth ministry. My the high schoolers would graduate, and they're like, "John, what's next?" Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "Keep coming to church." They're like, "Yeah, but like, what's next?" And I was like, "Dang, <laughs> keep going to mass, like, kid." 
shoot. <laughs> like I, ah. and it was, I mean, there was just this fire lit in my heart that we have to do something mm-hmm. about this. And now when I, when I talk with pastors that are interested in starting up this program at their parish, I tell them, if you have a youth ministry at your parish and you're willing to invest into youth ministry and a full-time youth minister, you're investing into a four-year, maybe seven-year age bracket right there, sixth, seventh grade through 12th grade. We are not investing into an age bracket of 18-year-olds to 40. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Like, why are we missing a, a And those are some of the hardest years in someone's life after yeah. high school. I mean, you don't have the support of your family. You're trying to figure out life. You're trying to like really hone in on your identity as a Mm -hmm. person and like the things that you love and want to invest into. And man, we just drop off. Yeah. And it's like, I think as a church, there is a fire being lit. I'm seeing it, but man, we got to keep that going. Yeah. We got to keep that going. Yeah. And the hardest part of that is not only to see the need for it, but be willing to do, put in the work that it takes because I think that's one of the biggest challenges we face is at, at parishes. It's so easy and I'm speaking from experience of working at three different parishes, it's so easy to get intimidated by a new a new uh, way in which to invest money, a new way in which yeah. to invest the little funds we already have. Yeah. Uh, uh, or we, we don't have a lot to work with in the first place. So how do we how do we pour our resources into something that is unproven, something that seems like it's just a novelty and it's a, a craze that'll just pass? Like how do we it's – it's a paradigm shift that we need right. to realize like, dude, our divorce rates are crazy. Um, you know, there's more single moms than ever. Like, gosh, every people that I love and I care about, and I see the impact that that a broken family has on them and and on their kids. Like, these are the years, and it's not like divorce is the only product, by, right, you know, right, byproduct. Right, right, but right, like, right. this is an example. These are the years, man, that we got to be there for for people. Right. Uh, we need to be journeying with people through those young adult years yeah. and providing guidance and fellowship and. Um, the church needs to be the most relevant during those times. Right, right. And I think when it comes to that whole, well, how do I, we invest money into another place when we don't even have it? Like, yeah, what, right. How do we do this? I think there has to be a couple of things. One, you got to have a radical trust in the Holy Spirit behind yes. the mission that you are doing. Yeah. And if you invest the money there and it doesn't come in, then he is shutting you down. Yeah. You know, which is really hard to hear, but it's like, dang, like, okay, Holy Spirit, if you want us to be here, you will 100% provide. Mm -hmm. Like, there's not a shortage of money out there. Mm -hmm. It's just not coming in. Yeah. You know, and so for us to say, okay, Holy Spirit, if you are putting this on our heart as a staff, as a leadership team, as a parish, we got to trust you and we got to go for this. Now, with that said, I think there is several ways that parishes go about starting these communities. And one that I have found that has been not the best is having those that are leading it be volunteers. And I say that for a very specific reason. When we started this program up, I'm I'm a full-time employee coordinating the ministry, but I'm not the only young adult minister at the parish. There's lots of us, but I'm coordinating it and I have the time to do it. I have the time to invest. I have the time to reach out, to battle the other things that are reaching out to them mm-hmm. that are way better than us. Yeah. You know, and at the end of the day, if there's not somebody focused on keeping the mission mm-hmm. in sight, which is the only thing that we have pretty much better to offer than anybody else, yeah. it's Jesus. Yeah. And so if we are not keeping that it as has our to center be... focused, yeah. then we're going to fail. The yeah. second thing, though, is that young adults just don't believe it. 
when we start up young adult communities, they don't believe they're going to last. Mm. When we first started this up, our first night we had 40 people. Then, and we meet every Monday. Then we went through a season of four months where we had 18 people come every night. And we were like, okay, Holy Spirit, we are going to persevere and we are going to continue this work. Six months later, those people that came the first night started coming back. And we asked them what took them so long. And they said it felt too good to be true. Mm. That it was not going to last. And that I was going to come and invest and it was going to crash. Gosh. And it was going to just fall apart. It wasn't going to be there anymore. Yeah. And once they saw that we truly were investing into it, now yeah. – there's new people that come. You have tonight. to go all in. You yeah. you have to go all in. And and to your point about the uh, the investment, I, I think there's an interesting um, comparison. Like there's almost this uh, over emphasis on like a false sense of stewardship that is like this overprotective. We need to have you know X number of hundreds of thousands of dollars in a reserve or any amount in a reserve or whatever. Like we can't do anything too radical for Jesus until we have this much in our savings account. But like, where's the trust in the Holy spirit in that? And and then in contrast, you look at like the way a lot of non-denominational, like big box churches will handle things. And it's like, we're going to build another campus. We don't have the money for yet. We're going to start breaking ground and you guys are going to pay for it because you want to spread the gospel. (laughs) Uh, And you guys being the congregation. And there's this trust in the Holy spirit that like the Lord will provide our number one job is to show up, do what God is calling us to do, right. and trust that he is going to provide the means, not wait like to make sure, like, Lord, you better prove yourself before I take a leap of faith that the money I need is going to be there first. Right. Just start putting the wheels in motion right. and let God do the rest. Yeah. I mean, it's very much along the lines of what Pope Francis has said, like, get out there and make a mess. Yeah, Like, exactly. get out there and make a mess. And I know that for some people— it's hard that I thrive off of that. Mm -hmm. Like I thrive off of taking something that the Holy Spirit is giving and saying, Lord, if we fail, praise Jesus, because we're going to go try what you have put on our hearts. And we're going to trust that if we fail, that that was part of the process you had destined for us, Mm. that like you wanted us to encounter that failure or you wanted us to encounter everything along that process to get where you want us to be, you know, where you want us to grow. But if we wait till we have everything, then we take anything that God wants to actually do out of the picture because we have complete control Mm -hmm. of the outcome. We have complete control of what we're doing, which still could turn out good, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to turn out great. Yep. And, and that's why we get excited. Focus. That's why we get excited when we have three people in an RCIA class. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> wow, we really did it. We have three people converting right. really because right. uh, St. Peter pulled off 2001 night. So I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, but, and I think, I'm also realizing, too, that there is a need for getting focused on the mission, Mm -hmm. you know? And I I use the story with my team all the time of the story of Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. Mm. How this woman, in one encounter with Jesus, went from being an outcast to being an evangelizer. Mm. She literally went from being a complete outcast, came at noon because she knew nobody would be there, and Jesus knew she was coming. So he was waiting for her. He didn't just show up at noon. He knew she was coming. So he was waiting for her. She came. And in that moment, he encountered her, loved her, healed her, freed her, and she left and went to her town and said, hey, all of you come back and meet the person that told me everything about my life. Mm -hmm. And the whole town came to know Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the environment that we want to create at our churches, in our programs, in our groups. Mm -hmm. We don't want to create, come encounter me, come encounter my community, even though those are all good things. Mm -hmm. 
At the end of the day, though, we want people to encounter Jesus. And if yeah. that's our focus, then we're not going to have any problem pushing ourselves or pushing one another to get uncomfortable on those nights. Mm-hmm. But if it's just to come, mm-hmm. then calling each other out is really tough. But if it's, I've encountered him and I want you to encounter him. Yeah. Then it changes the whole atmosphere. And that that makes me think about, so, you know, we were talking about how essentially what we were talking about is how easily parishes can get in the way of the Holy Spirit's movement by being overly uh, scrupulous with the money and, you know, um, but but in our own lives, there's also a correlation to be drawn there. Like, what are the ways in which out of fear or self-preservation or uh, avoiding radical moves what are the ways in which we're getting in the way of what God wants to do through yeah. us in the kingdom on a personal level? Yeah. What are the relationships that haven't been started because I let my anxiety get the best of me? What What are the conversations that I could have had just to say hi to someone and make them feel seen and loved in a passing moment, someone I don't even right. know, that that moment could have been everything to them? Right. Um, and then, and then even you know, going a little bit further, like what are the conversations about the Lord that didn't happen that should have happened that God wanted to happen that because they didn't happen out of my own fear or hesitation who knows right right it's been interesting with our leadership team and our pastoral council and all the different groups at our church we've been talking about the difference between you know there's that initial moment where we encounter someone that encounter but when you look at Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well he not only encountered her but he gave her a place to belong mm. in him and so i mean for instance, at our church, we are a predominantly white church, which uh, we have several people on our pastoral council that are like, I have never, that are not, they're Hispanic, African American, and they have said, I have never not felt welcomed at your church, but I don't always feel like I belong. Mm. You know, I don't always feel like I belong. And hearing that and having those conversations and starting to take a real good look at that realizing that we've got to have that initial welcome but it can't just stop there like and the only way that someone is going to truly feel like they belong is that if at the end of the day we're able to bring them to the feet of Jesus and say this is why I'm here mm. you know John there could not be a better segue into the charisma speed round I'm nervous <laughs> all right so question number 1 who is Jesus to you oh he is my lord and savior okay Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. All right. Elevator pitch. You're on an elevator. Cool. You can decide the height of the elevator, the height of the, the building. Oh, boy. Elevator pitch for a life with Jesus. Uh, oh, man. I'm trying not to be funny. Uh, I know. <laughs> Go for uh, it. Go for it. Man, the youth minister is like wanting to jump. Uh, <laughs> if I was in an elevator, had 30 seconds to talk to someone, I'd say, I know someone that can bring you, I know someone that can love the ache in your heart Mm. unlike anybody else. And it's not me. (laughs) Even though I look like I could. I'm kidding. Uh, And it's not me. Can I introduce him to you real quick? Oh my gosh. I love that. That's so beautiful. No idea if that would work. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's that's profound. I love that. But I think because everybody feels that. So yeah, it's like if I can point out what we're all seeking, mm. that's maybe. And everyone's got wants. everyone's got an ache. 
Yeah. Everyone's got an achy, achy, achy breaky heart. Achy, achy. Uh, question number three and final question. Okay. So you've addressed who Jesus is. You've provided the elevator pitch for a life with him. Now, an elevator pitch for specifically life with him as a Catholic Ooh. in the Catholic context. If you want a place where you can come to know Jesus and allow it to push you and challenge you, Catholic Church would be a great place for you. Beautiful. Yeah, and accurate. Yeah. Yeah, you get uh, the the fullest extent of the gospel experience and, and the— the highest call to I mean the Catholic Church pushes the crap out of me. Like I'm yeah. not even joking. Like it like it's 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 tough. But at the same time, I don't make Jesus into exactly what I want him to be. Like the church helps me understand who Jesus is. And so I can't just mold Jesus to exactly what I want so that way I can stay in my mm-hmm. crap mm-hmm. all the time. Like it pushes me to work through it, which there's not too many things in this world that do that anymore. Yeah, wow. Amen. So that's great. We we should always uh, pursue his uh, his will for us and and who he really is, not who we want him to be. Yep. I love that, John. Nailed it. All right, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, uh, this has been uh, the first segment of the Awakened Catholic Show. Now, John, um, I don't know if you heard this, but uh, recently uh, polls showed. Uh, that uh, given the option uh, to not wear a mask or wear a mask or enjoy the Catholic Weird Stuff segment, uh, 82.35% of people said that they would love to watch the Weird Stuff segment. Wow, okay. Roll it. Today for the Catholic Weird Stuff segment, we are going to be talking about the weird stuff that so many Catholics do when we do the Seder meal, when, yeah. we, when we live out the Seder meal, when we, when we enjoy and celebrate the Seder meal. What are we, a bunch of Jews? I know. Like, I mean, kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah we, Catholicism is the fulfillment I mean, of Judaism. Yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> so, so, John, you brought up uh, that you wanted to touch on the Seder yeah. meal because it's a family tradition of yours. I've been doing it since I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, I would love to hear about your experience with the Seder meal. Maybe, maybe first explain what the Seder meal is. Yeah. So, I mean— it's it's really funny because I'll share this first. Every year, it's a meal essentially, and there's a lot more to it. But with it, we always invite friends over, and every time they come, it just becomes this like wild, crazy because it's just so strange. It's kind of weird. Yeah. But there's also so much meeting and so many cool aspects to it. Uh, so a Seder meal is very much the Jewish Passover celebration, the meal that they celebrate, but with an extension to it with the fulfillment of what Jesus did at the Last Supper. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's if you know about the story in Exodus when the Israelites were set free, it's very much retelling that story and the freedom that they experienced from uh, slavery in Egypt and the whole process of the plagues and the last plague, the angel of death passing over Egypt, but all of the Israelites being spared and how they were asked to slaughter a lamb without blemish and uh, eat it and to make unleavened bread 
So that way they didn't have time for the bread to rise. So they made unleavened bread and they were supposed to eat it and be prepared to go as soon as the meal ended. So mm-hmm. what's, you were to eat it with staff in hand, ready to go mm. as soon as the Lord had done what he needed to do, because that was the last thing that he was going to do before they were set free. So every year, Jewish people and the Jewish faith, they celebrate the Passover meal together and Jesus, being the good Jew that he was, celebrated it as well. That's the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. And except in that celebration, he fulfilled it. He was the lamb. He was the lamb. And so there's that, I mean, just the coolest part where you kind of rehear the story. Well, and the trippiest thing to me about that that element of this is in the account in Exodus, you know, the, uh, the directive is to eat the unblemished lamb with the unleavened bread like it's in the same sentence eat the unblemished lamb with the unleavened bread same sentence and then jesus is the unblemished lamb and the unleavened bread (laughs) it's so cool how so often we like see old testament and what Jesus did just line up and you're like dang that's like thousands of years and you like it's incredible you like you're it yeah, that's my favorite stuff. Yeah. It, it really is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some of the weird stuff, though, that happens is like, I mean, we don't really ever cook lamb. And right. so like once a year, a house smells like lamb. Mm. And my mom got this crazy recipe that it actually tastes really good. <laughs> but it's like our house smells like garlic for hours and oh hours gosh. and hours. And then just like in the story where uh, in the passage from Exodus where they take the blood of the lamb and they put it on the doorpost, my dad being the cool crazy guy that he is he'll literally take like a little bit of the juice from the lamb and like dab it on the doorpost as like <laughs> symbolism and i'm like this is so weird if anybody saw this they think we're crazy oh my god but it was also like i've never i mean i've never forgot it and it's yeah. me to remember the story and remember what jesus fulfilled that to me is the the biggest thing so so we do this basically like we we, we uh go through this ritual that is a, a representation of what we see in Exodus and throughout the Old Testament and in the gospel. Um, And what it does is it brings the Bible story uh, to life. It it surrounds us. We swim in it. We smell it. We taste it. And we really experience what these stories accounted. And then, you know, when you follow the the instructions for executing on on the Seder meal— and, and there are readings that are connected to it and certain prayers, like it really helps bring to life these scriptures and, and it contextualizes a lot of these stories in a way that you suddenly, um, you see it differently, you understand it differently, it's more vivid. And it helps you also to kind of like, you know, so I, I don't know when you guys have done it. We've traditionally, uh, I've experienced it typically um, Holy Week uh, yeah. or, or, you know, the Palm Sunday weekend leading up to Holy Week. Um, And such a cool way to enter into that. And especially when you do it communally with like, the last time I did it was a few years ago with a huge group of friends and with our kids. And like, I remember when I was a kid going with my dad or my parents' friends and, you know, like, it's just such a cool fellowship opportunity to enter into Holy Week with a group of people that you're journeying through life with too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, going back to the young adult stuff, we're planning to do one with the whole group. So not this year, That's amazing. in the future, our plan is to do a huge one just like, and just like, I mean, and what we would do is we would do it. We've always done it 
on Holy Thursday. So we literally eat and we go straight to church. Wow. So we kind of like follow the whole like staff in hand, ready to go. That's awesome. So we eat and we go and we jump right into the liturgies of Holy Week, which Mm -hmm. are just my favorite three days of the year. And, uh, yeah, it's powerful. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that is yeah. the Seder meal. Yeah. That is the Seder meal. That is your Catholic weird, weird. stuff segment. Kind of. Uh, you know, it is weird until you understand it. Then it's like, oh, okay. Then it's like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. I want to be a part of that. I want to I mean, try it. You see a guy, if you drive by my parents' house and you see a guy dabbing the door with a uh, weird <laughs> brush on Holy Thursday, that's probably my dad. Yeah. Like, and if you're interested uh, in trying out the Seder meal, whether this year or in the future, I don't know. Maybe contact your parish and ask if they know of any families that are doing it um, or ask on Facebook or social media or the Awakened Catholic app. Um, You know, if there's anyone you know that uh, that might be doing it, they'd be willing to to invite you, host you. Um, Yeah, go experience it. It's really cool. It is so fun. It's so great. Um, It's powerful. Okay, so now uh, we are going to get into our second segment here, Mr. Johnny. Okay. Uh, we're going to be talking about, you brought the, the topic of acedia. Yeah. And now Alina and I, uh, we read a book on acedia a year ago when we were, uh, home ridden and bedridden, uh, because we had COVID and it was a great way to honestly, like, you know, when, when we felt, we felt terrible for about a month and a half and, uh, it kind of was a, a really cool opportunity. Like the book, rose elevated our minds beyond the physical yuckiness we were feeling yeah um yeah and i would love i mean so you're you're getting through this book right now yeah, what is well this? i finished this book okay. and so if anything from this speaks to you today i suggest you go pick up this book uh it's by an abbot uh the author's name is nolt and the name of the book is the noonday devil achadia or acedia uh, the unnamed evil of our times. So, so sometimes you'll hear people call it by both those names. Yeah. And I can tell you that in my life, there's only been two books that I would tell you have changed my life. And it's the Bible and this book. Wow. That's quite the that's endorsement. It. I also haven't read that many books. Uh, <laughs> but with that. Why are I, we talking about Acedia? What is Acedia? Okay. So I think... I want to read you the definition because it's not the easiest thing to describe. It's super weird. It's it's because it almost overlaps with some other things that does. we typically refer to with other words. It does, but it, it like it all comes together at right. the same time. So, acedia is spiritual sloth, sadness, and a disgust with the things of God, a loss of the meaning of life, despair of attaining salvation. It drives one to leave his state of life. So to find compensation somewhere else, which he felt God was actually calling him to do, but it wasn't. Wow. And then to even go deeper into maybe what some of you might be feeling, including myself at the time, was things that are also connected to it are weariness, melancholy, feeling overworked, discouragement, instability, Mm -hmm. activism, boredom, depression. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's known as – so when we talk about these things, we're hearing, wow, like I – I mean maybe you're hearing that and you're like, wow, I kind of feel a lot of that stuff all at the same time. And like when usually we're struggling with something or even – Achadia is known as the vice of Achadia or even some would call it a sin. Uh, 
the book that I read uh, actually also referred to it as the demon of acedia. Yes, very much so. Yeah, because acedia. It's so where the word came about and all of it kind of started was year three twelve. Uh, the church was no longer under persecution. So there was this group of people that were known as the desert fathers and the desert mothers that went out into the desert to live a radical way of life to follow the Lord. And while they were out there, they encountered this. So they started writing about it a Mm. lot. And so it very much started with the desert fathers and mothers talking about this vice, this sin, this demon that would come. And what I've realized is this book calls it the noonday devil because sin normally hides in the dark and it, it grows in the dark. Acedia is not like that. It purposely strikes, if you're using the day as the analogy, it strikes at noon because at noon you cannot see your shadow. So it feels like it's never going to end. So you feel like you're stuck in a state of life that you cannot get out, but it's not hiding in the dark. It just looks like it's never going to end. Right. So that's why it's known as the noonday devil, because it strikes at that part of where all of this stuff is kind of coming in. And it's so good at disguising itself as any number of other things. Yeah. Um, Like you mentioned depression, for example, as a symptom. Like, dude, yeah. Uh, And like even seasonal depression, I've, I've, man, are you kidding me? Like for something like the weather to have such an impact on myself, like... That is straight up spiritual because it's so nonsense. It's nonsensical. It makes no sense for me to be as crippled as I am sometimes by the seasonal, by the weather changes and stuff. I know that that's spiritual warfare. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, for sure. And I think when it comes to Achadia, Acedia, when we're talking about it, what, and we'll talk about this in a second. St. Thomas Aquinas talks a lot about this. And. He talks about how we don't want to separate it from everything that is encompassed with it because of how much like it hides itself underneath all mm-hmm. of these things. So like depression or instability or activism or boredom at the same time, like you're bored yet you desire to be active yet you're doing so much and you're working like crazy yet you feel completely unfulfilled. When if some of you who are listening work for the church, feeling a disgust for the things of God, a disgust for working for the church, anger for the church, wanting to flee your positions in your job at your church, you know, any job, feeling like you need to flee it because God's maybe calling you out of it, but there's something like it's just like I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I I want to push you to take a look at is there something deeper going on there? Yeah. Because I can tell you that as someone who's primarily only worked for the church, there's been times in my life where I have wanted to quit my job and yeah. become so frustrated with the things of the church and things that are going on in the workplace and getting opportunities, other other places and job positions opening up or being approached by people and being like, man, yeah, I want to, I'll go do that job. Mm-hmm. And when... I was approached with this. I was in that position where I was getting ready to take a new position. And in that moment, it was crazy because when you read the book, St. Thomas Aquinas talks about it as sadness about a spiritual good. Wow. That's how he describes Achadia. It's sadness about a spiritual good. The spiritual good is the cross set before you. 
the sadness is that you have to die to so many good things. Those good things being all the things that we desire. Right. Desires of the flesh. You know, all those things, you know, power, money, all those things that we are constantly that hide in so many different ways that we see the other side of the fence and we want to go to it. And so it makes us want to flee the state of life that we're in. Mm -hmm. Yet it's not because God's actually calling us to that. It's because we don't actually want to pick up the cross in front of us, knowing that God's going to bring something good from that and realizing that, man, so often I want to flee the situations that I'm in in life, not because what I'm going to is actually going to be better, even though it looks like it would be on paper. Yeah. It's because I don't want to pick up the cross. And it's so hard. Like this is one of the hardest sins in my opinion uh, to really confront because it's so tied into your emotions and your psychology in, in such a deep and profound way and and, and discreetly, yeah. all of those things. Yep. Um, I just think that uh, what, one thing that I have found for myself since reading the book that we read, um, never making a rash judgment or, or decision uh, never impulsively yeah. making a course redirection because you have to discern spirits. You have to be, you have to, using using the tools we have uh, through the different cardinal virtues, um, prudently discerning with patience whether something is right or wrong, uh, a course is the right course or the wrong course. Right. Um, because it's so easy in the moment to be totally convinced I should quit my job, blah, 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 blah. The, the right. grass is greener on the other side. Let's, whatever. Like, right. That, but all of that stuff could be coming from the demon of acedia. Right. And I think it starts to, you start to notice it's acedia when it starts to make its way into all aspects of your life. So it's right. not just the job, but it's also family life. And it's also your friendships with people. It's your desire. Like one of the side effects of it, that the church, the desert fathers talk about is that you have no desire to finish projects anymore. Mm. Like you have no desire to stay committed to your marriage. You have no desire to stay committed to being a father. You have no desire to stay committed to doing the work that is before you. It's all gone. Yeah. You just lose all that motivation yet. You still feel that activism and boredom at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so they talk about ways to battle it. And one of the things that in this book, when I read this, I can tell you this is so true for my life. And uh, I had never really heard about this before. And after uh, talking with someone and they suggested this, they're like, you need to, you really need to read this with where you're at in life. And so after I read it, I came across this spot and in the book, it talks about how once you bring it to a place where you can name it and recognize it, it flees. Mm. Like it cannot stay. Here, Here it is. It says, sometimes it is enough to become conscious that one is prayed on by Achadia in order for it to flee immediately. Achadia is always there at the beginning and there is no worse passion. But as soon as a man has recognized it, it is clank. It is calmed. Mm-hmm. And once I recognized that that was what all of this was, I can literally feel this freedom that I have not felt in so long. That's amazing. And it spilled over into every aspect of my life. And there became a joy not to leave where I was at. Yeah. You know, work, 
family life, all that stuff. There became a joy to pick up the cross that was before me every single day and to realize that, yes, there is a mission in this. God has a purpose for this and that I can pick this up with joy now instead of being so fixated on the little things every single day. I think that that is such a perfect example of why there's so much benefit to thinking of acedia as as a demon called acedia. Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily to say that we think that there's a Mr. Demon hanging out right. around there with a name tag that says acedia. Right. It's more about how we program our minds to think about some of these battles because like um, it is very helpful because you know some of the language in there like that you are being afflicted by acedia – Inherently, that language implies you're not doing this to yourself. You're a victim of something that's happening externally to you. And I I think that I'm a huge advocate for self-love in in, in a healthy way. It's really, really hard to to be healthy in loving yourself if you hate yourself for your sin instead of just hating the sin, hating the demons that are afflicting you. Um, And then you can battle those demons. You can battle those sins in a different way because it's something other than yourself. You inherently are good. You inherently are a son or a daughter of of, of the Father in heaven, and, and you are a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. Like, you inherently have the divine spark that that the Lord put in you when he created you, and then you have the indelible marks on your soul that you received at baptism and in the Eucharist and at confirmation. Like, you are good. Yeah. And you are being attacked, and you can fight that. Yeah, and I think sometimes we forget... Yeah, I mean, it's so especially when this is happening, and like that's the thing about Cedia, it it kind of sneaks its way in. It's known as the noonday devil. Like we don't necessarily see it coming, Mm -hmm. and so often we need somebody to call it out in us for us to see it, and then we remember what we have to fight it. Yeah, and so when it comes to this, one of the best ways, and the book talks about it too, but one of the best ways to fight this is a simple method, and it really has to do with approaching God in our prayer. And that method is, there's an acronym for it, and it's A-R-R-R. R. Uh, <laughs> the pirate yeah, method. Yeah, for real. Uh, <laughs> but it's to, when we approach God in prayer, to acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. Hmm. Acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. And it starts with, and this is where most people really struggle, is to acknowledge mm-hmm. how I feel. Like to honestly be able to say how I feel without feeling guilty, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and what's really funny is I have taught people this method for the past 12 years. And until a couple of years ago, I've never done it right. Because when I would acknowledge, I would acknowledge from a place still of pride mm. of, Lord, I know that you have given this to me. I know this is my vocation. I know this is my mission. And so I know you're going to give me the strength. Instead of just saying, Lord, I really hate doing this. Mm. Like, I really am not happy about being a husband today. Mm. I'm not happy about being a father today. The guilt that you can feel when you say that out loud is like, oh, I I should never even think that thought or say it. Yeah. But if I can't share that with God, then he can't supernaturally come in and do something. Mm. You know? It's like Jesus. And the best example of this is this isn't a John Trabbick thing. This isn't like just a random thing. Jesus gave us this example in the garden. When he approached the father in the garden and sweat blood right before everything started, he did not say, Father, I know that you have given this to me as my mission and I'm going to do it. He said, please 
take this away. Mm-hmm. Like, let it pass. Like, please, like, if there's any way, like, I do not want to do this, yet let your will be done. Mm-hmm. And once he was able to honestly say, Father, I do not want to do this. I'm really struggling with this. Like, I really, I'm begging you, yet still let your will be done. In that moment, then a supernatural peace and strength came upon Jesus for him to finish what he needed to finish. Mm. And I think if we're able to approach God like that, to acknowledge how I truly feel and to say, God, this is what's really going on, then relate that to him, then we will receive what we need. Mm. And then when we receive those things, then we can leave that time of prayer with God and respond in the ways that he's calling us to. Yeah. I so. love that. The I think that maybe... You know, I think probably different people struggle with different pieces of that equation. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think for me personally, I probably get the first and second letters, the A, the first R, yeah. and then uh, what was the receive final? Receive and receive, respond. Respond. So I probably get like the the A, R, skip the second R, and then maybe I sometimes get that third R. Yeah. Um, and I just, I felt so convicted a couple of days ago, actually, because I, I had actually spent my morning prayer time and stuff. And then I see this post on social media from our buddy, Seth Schleter. Yeah. And all it said was, have you let Jesus tell you today that he loves you? And I was like, how did I do a whole morning prayer and not let Jesus tell me that he loves me? Like how much talking am I doing? And, and I'm, I'm interacting with the God of the universe. How am I not letting the line you know, leaving enough space in that phone call for him to say something to me in return. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep. Um, and I, I, with that too, I've realized uh, I started, uh, I'm doing a program, Exodus 90, right now. And I have not committed, part of the process is committing to a daily holy hour. Mm. And I have not committed to a daily holy hour probably ever this long. And I can tell you that over the span, we're probably almost 65, 70 days in now. And committing to that, I am just starting to finally let Jesus love me mm. because I had to dig through so much crap that I had put up Wow! that when I was trying to receive, it was so hard because it was like, I just keep on spewing out crap yeah, yeah. and my mind keeps racing and I can't stop it to just listen and be still. Mm. And by practicing that, it's like any relationship, the more you spend with that person, the more you can get rid of that. So that way you can mm-hmm. truly be present to that person. It's the same with God. Mm-hmm. You know, I think sometimes we think I can just go to him once and it'll all be good. And then I'm good until the next time. But if we really want to encounter him, we've got to learn yeah. because the way that I encounter you right now is I can sit here and I can talk to you and we can have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. With God, it's different. We have to learn how Mm -hmm. to do that. Well, and I think that some of that like is a contextual thing. Like what is our context for who God is and how he wants to interact with me? And a lot of times that's like a learned thing from our upbringing or from the faith community we're, we're in, the culture of that faith community, like as far as what is the context for God's interaction with you? Um, and I think that some of that is almost rooted in like what John Paul II talked about uh, with practical atheism. So like we believe in God, uh, we call ourselves Christians, we even maybe go to church, but like in practice, are we living as though there is this incredible, infinite, all-powerful God that loves us and wants to commune with us? And the reason I'm connecting that to this is like, you know, even if we are praying and we're trying to have a very real relationship with him, are we living as though, are we praying as though God wants to talk back? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Are we praying as if we know and trust that God knows what we need and yeah. desires to give it to or, us? Or is it for us just a nice idea and I do this because it helps me psychologically to externalize these thoughts and pray to him? Um, or are we really willing and ready psychologically to receive responses? Um, so that context is huge. And yeah. as soon as you open yourself up to that, oh my gosh. Which kind of like... I wanted to share this quote from Pope Benedict and he talks about like, are we actually open to hearing what God has to say? Mm -hmm. And so if you're okay, let's do it. Okay, cool. So Pope Benedict says this, when he talks about uh, the noonday devil being like, so Achadio being like removed from your life, but also like listening to God and responding. Are we not perhaps all afraid in some way? If we let Christ enter fully into our lives, if we open ourselves totally to him, are we not afraid that he might take something away from us? Mm. Are we not perhaps afraid to give up something significant, something unique, something that makes life so beautiful? Do we not then risk ending up diminished and deprived of our freedom? No. If we let Christ into our lives, we lose nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, of what makes life free, beautiful, and great. No, only in this friendship are the doors of life opened wide. Mm. Only in this friendship is the great potential of human existence truly revealed. Only in this friendship do we experience beauty and liberation. Wow. And like... I have goosebumps. I do too, because it's just like when <laughs> like you that read that... me emotional. That's I know, like... but when you read that, you're like, that is the relationship yeah. that my heart craves yeah and it's only found in jesus i almost think that there's another dynamic to that too of, of that fear of listening and and actually receiving responses from god um and i almost feel like we might also be afraid of being let down like if i open myself to god speaking back to me um and it doesn't happen i don't want to be challenged in my faith yeah in the sense that I don't want a reason to not believe in this. So if I keep if I keep my prayer life looking like this, where I don't actually hear from him, but I do my prayers, I say the blessings, O Lord, before a meal, whatever. If I keep my prayer life there, I won't ever get let down by any higher expectation, and this will just be comfy cozy. Right, right. Which allows us to control yeah. everything still. Yeah. But and guess so what, we people? We end up in this cycle. Yeah. Guess what? Jesus Christ is alive, and he loves you actively here and now. Heck yeah. And Heck he wants yeah. to interact with you. Heck yeah. He wants to bless you. Mm. Brother John. So that reminds me of a song I once heard. Oh. You might know the guy. <laughs> I'm a dad. I, <laughs> dad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> That song is by a guy called John Travick. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so um, maybe talk to us about this song before we uh, listen yeah. to it. So this song was a song. So uh, right before everything hit with COVID, I released an album. And this song, the story behind it is I was literally packing up all of my gear to head to Nashville to record this album. And as I was packing up my keyboard, I sat down at it. And this whole song came out in five minutes. Oh, my gosh. That's the and best. And I recorded it on my phone, sent it to the producer and said, Hey, I just wrote this song. Do you think we should put this on the album? And he texted back and said, yes, that was it. Just yes. And 
to make a real long story short, the day before I left, a really close friend of mine who was a roommate of mine uh, passed away tragically uh, just like two years before. Really close friend. His name was Jonathan. Had a big old tattoo on his arm that said Apostle. This guy was radical and uh, just tragically uh, died and uh, just very close. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to lead worship for was his funeral. And the day before I left, Jonathan was always the guy that came to every worship night I did and was in the back, hands up, just like didn't care, praised his heart out yet, knew he was broken and knew that he needed to rely on the Lord's mercy and knew it and was humble about it. And the day before I left, his mom, I saw his mom at church and she's like, Jonathan's going with you to Nashville. And she's like, I felt it. Like he's just there. Wow. And I started writing that song and I prayed and I said, Jonathan, if you've got anything for me, give it to me. And in the next five minutes, the whole thing came out. Wow. And so this song really has to do with the the line in scripture where Jesus says, be perfect like my heavenly father is perfect. I think a lot of people don't like that mm. line because it's like, how can I be perfect like God? Like he's perfect. And I think it's because we often make God's idea of perfection what the world tells us perfection is. The world tells us that perfection is never messing up, mm. like always being perfect. And God's idea of perfection, I believe, is way different than that. There's a line in this book where it's talking about obedience and chastity. And it says, it seems to me that for some of those who live in monasteries, obedience is a higher virtue than chastity. However perfect. Chastity, when practiced, is in danger of pride. Mm. Obedience has the promise of humility. Wow. And when we practice obedience, the only outcome is humility. And Jonathan was obedient to the Lord all the time in the midst of his brokenness by going and asking for his mercy. And I think that the chorus of this song says, you are God and I am not. Lord, help me be a perfect vessel. You are God and I am not. Help me take the the road less traveled. And God's idea of perfection for us is humility. And to be able to approach him and say, you are God and I am not, and that I need you. And if we can do that every day, then we will be perfect, like our Heavenly Father is perfect. That's beautiful. So. That's so beautiful. John, I love the words of this song. I love the, the song overall, uh, and I'm excited for everyone to hear it. Yeah. So here is Broken Vessels by John Trabick. I have wandered so far From your love From your love You brought me back To your heart To your heart Lord, take my life all I have to offer for you are God and I am not Lord help me be a perfect vessel for you 
Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a round of applause to Mr. John Travick. And to Mr. Nick Delatore. <laughs> no, man, that song is that song is beautiful. I mean, seriously beautiful. I, like I, I told you before we started recording the episode, I'd, I'd heard that song uh, on the album, uh, which, by the way, you should make sure to check out. And we'll have links in the show notes. Um, but I'd never heard you do it live. Yeah. And, and ha- hearing you do it here in studio is like... 
I, it just touched me in a whole different way. Um, so thanks for sharing that, yeah, that gift of a song thanks with us. Thanks for letting us. me. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for being with us here today. Yeah. Uh, Don, I hope all the best for the millions of ways God is using you. Um, and yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Praise the Lord. Thank you for what you guys are doing too. Oh, keep it John, up. Stop. Keep it up. <laughs> all right, keep going. Uh, <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, I have been Nick Delatore. And this has been John Trabick, and this has been The Awakened Catholic Show. Uh, tune in next time, and uh, we'll have even more fun. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by The Awakened Nation and The Hollow App. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.